Okay, Luke chapter 2 and verses 8 to 12. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this wonderful Christmas season and thank you for all the joy we've just been singing with joy. We pray as we've been thinking about joy now, we grasp that it has a foundation of truth to it, so it's substantial and lasting. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, Luke chapter 2 and beginning at verse 8, this famous text about the shepherds, and I'm going to read to verse 12. Let's hear God's word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He is a burly New York fireman whose ruggedly handsome good looks have been inherited by his son that he is bringing up on his own because his wife died of cancer. He decides to go home for the holidays to be with his parents. While there, he goes shopping into a small little store for Christmas decorations. And it happens that the owner of the store behind the stand as he goes to buy the Christmas decorations is his former high school sweetheart. The store is in trouble because a evil, faceless global corporation is dominating the niche market of Christmas decorations. But he and his former high school sweetheart scheme to save the business and fall in love just in time for Christmas. Welcome to the quintessential Hallmark movie. (laughs) Fun, to be sure, though there are a lot of them. But I don't think any of us would be confused as to think that it is objectively true, representative of a certain sentimental feel-good factor, to be sure, but a story. Christmas has its own feel-good factor. But, of course, the Christian claim is that it is true. And that's what gives the joy of Christmas not merely a sentimental and superficial feeling, but something that is foundational and transformational. So we're looking uh, this morning at the truth of Christmas, that it gives us true joy. And we've seen already from the previous uh, couple of weeks that uh, joy 
is an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. We need to keep that definition clearly in our minds, otherwise we'll think we're talking about mere emotion. No, joy is the sound of the trumpets coming from over the horizon, pulling us forward. It's unsatisfied desire whose desire is greater than any other satisfaction. And we've seen in previous weeks also, haven't we, that this joy is a little surprising and it is rooted in God himself in the divine. And this week we're looking at its truth, true joy. And to answer that challenge, that question that it is not merely sentimental and superficial but it is foundational and transformational because it is true joy, we need to look at this text that Luke tells us from Luke chapter 2 and verses 8 to 12. And in it he presents to us, of course, the shepherds and the angels and a sign that reveal how this is true joy. First of all, it presents a question for us. Is it too good to be true? This is verses 8 and 9, the shepherds. Look down with me, if you will, at your Bibles, and you'll see how they're described. And described. And I think that Luke here is intending us to realize that something quite extraordinary is happening. And we wonder, is it too good to be true? In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They're outsiders. They are not insiders. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with a great fear. Is it too good to be true? These shepherds that we think about each Christmas, is it too good to be true? I remember when we were first uh, beginning, when I was first beginning to get to know some of the carols, and we would sing as a schoolboy those carols while shepherds watched their flocks by night we would change their words because it seemed just all too good to be true we and I don't know whether they do this in America or not but we would sing in an undertone while shepherds washed their socks by night all seated round the tub the angel of the Lord came down and taught them how to scrub Shepherds, it seems so sentimental. But the point of the story is even shepherds, they're outsiders. They are the equivalent of the construction workers laboring late at night on a highway around Chicagoland. Tough, hardworking, blue-collar, not intellectual, getting it done, manly men, bivouacking, camping, outside, protecting the sheep against the wolves. They knew how to kill wolves. They were the ancient cowboys out on the range fighting off wild animals. And it's to the shepherds that the angels come first. Is it too good to be true, even for the outsider? Perhaps you feel like an outsider. Those shepherds, the Talmud, which is the 
ancient Jewish set of oral laws, seems to insinuate, and I can't say I'm an expert in the Talmud by any means, but I've read some of it. It seems to insinuate that the shepherds were not only physically, geographically outsiders in these days, but their testimony was not admitted in a court of law. They were outsiders, not quite trusted. Their word was not verifiable. Their testimony could not be guaranteed. Is it too good to be true that a shepherd, an outsider, would receive the message? Perhaps you feel like an outsider. Perhaps you're a bit like Groucho Marx, who once said he didn't want to be part of any club that would have him. Could it be for you? Perhaps you're more like the, one of the founders of the Apple enterprise, Wozniak, who when he was at college would come up with all sorts of things that kept him as something of an outsider. He came up with a gadget that would make the TV set go fuzzy every time he pressed the gadget and so that when someone was watching TV and it went fuzzy and they would go up to hit it, he pressed the button again and make it go right and he got them jumping up and down and moving around and actually it was a gadget he had in his hand. Wozniak, the tech genius, shepherds, outsiders, not the insider of the religious enterprise. Is it too good to be true? And then we come to the announcement itself, which is broken down to three parts, and we'll look at each of those three parts in turn. First, Savior. True joy comes as we find true help. The Savior is someone who comes to rescue us, to help us. The angel said to them, verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. What is this good news? Well, it's of great joy. It's for all the people, shepherds included. For all the people, even you shepherds. What, what is the message? For unto you is born in this city, in the city of David, a and there are three parts to the good news. Savior, Christ, Lord. First of all, Savior. He's come to help. The message of good news is resonant with meaning from both the Old Testament and the Roman Empire. In the Old Testament, the word for good news is a pre-announcement of the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, who will come. You can Follow this all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, all the way back to the book of Genesis. This savior figure will come that has pre-announced the good news, the good news. When is it coming? The angel is saying it is now. That is one track. It's a fulfillment for the scriptures and also the real king, not Caesar. In those days, it would have been familiar, this term. Evangelion, good news. It's not familiar to us. Familiar from the scriptures, but also familiar from the Roman Empire. For Caesar Augustus, his birth was an Evangelion, an announcement, a good news. 
And the angels are saying, not Caesar. He's not the savior. He's not the king. He's not the Lord. It is this baby. Savior. He's come to help. Do you need help? I wonder where we look for help. Some people look for churches that are centered around a personality, personality cult churches. I think they're desperate for help, people like that. They're looking for a father figure or a savior. Is that what you're looking for? A personality cult? A Caesar? That's not what's going to give you the help that you need. Billy Graham once said this, Every Christian is just a criminal rescued from death row. We have a Savior. That's all we are. Criminals rescued from death row. Martin Luther said this, When I look at myself, I don't see how I could possibly be saved. When I look at the cross, I don't see how I could possibly be lost. He's come to save. He's given his own son. How on earth could we possibly be lost if we've trusted in him? He's the Savior. True help. And therefore, of course, true joy. Perhaps you need help. Will you ask this morning? Ask God for help. Help with your finances. Help with your family. Help with your health. And most of all, and foundational to all, salvation from sin and from the wrath of God. He's come to save. Savior, that first aspect of the good news, that first title. Then Messiah, or Christ, and I think this is resonant with feelings of hope in the original intention. Messiah, or Christ, is equivalent to the English word anointed. It was used particularly uh, frequently in the book of First and Second Chronicles, which is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. King David, who is, it tells us again and again, the anointed, and yet the Hebrew Bible, the last book in the Bible, finishes on a cliffhanger, actually on an unfinished sentence, because the anointed is still to come. The hope, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him, the Messiah. And perhaps you feel like you need hope. You need to find an anointed figure. People look for that these days, don't they? They look for the anointed figure. Outside of church, I think this is why we have personality cult celebrities. They're looking for the anointed one, the special one, the gifted one, the Messiah figure in politics, in entertainment, social media influencers, Uh, all these 
anointed figures, we think. We're looking for hope. Who will be sufficiently anointed to give hope to our world? And Luke is saying it comes in this Messiah, not in the celebrities, not in the Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you're of that generation who used to think, wow, what a guy, look at his physique, that's amazing, look at his muscles. And he listened to his instructions, telling you to work harder and harder. If you need more than six hours sleep, he would say, my advice is to you, sleep faster. What an anointed figure. Or the very gifted Taylor Swift on her era's tour. Literally changing the economic realities of cities when she turns up. What an anointed figure. But soon enough it will be gone. Just like a Michael Jackson. The anointed figure... The one who gives real hope is this baby. He's the Messiah. And then the third title here is, of course, Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And this term is also resonant with meaning and significance from the Old Testament, particularly the book of Exodus, because the lordship of Jesus does not mean that he is here to dominate or dictate to you in some kind of controlling, manipulative, Machiavellian way. It means that he is here to provide you a home. Book of Exodus, it's the Lord who rescued them from slavery. It's the Lord who brought them through the desert. It's the Lord who brought them to their home, their promised land. And this baby is the Lord who will give us a true home. Safety. Sanctuary. It's fascinating to me how we have forgotten that the safety we need comes from the worship of Jesus as Lord. Downton Abbey, one of the most popular TV series in recent years, had to make a strategic choice to leave out religion, which would have been a prominent feature of that home. And in order to leave out religion, though they wanted to get all the other details correct... What they did is they never filmed the beginning of a meal. Because in that house, every meal would have begun with prayer to the Lord of the house. Jesus. And if you want your home to flourish... If you want your marriage to flourish, if you want a home, set up Jesus as Lord. Don't resist his ways. Don't say no to his instructions. He'll provide you a home if he's Lord.
Is it too good to be true? Well, no. There is good news, an announcement for all the people, shepherds included, of what? Savior, Christ, Lord, help, hope, home. In fact, I think we could say, and I I believe this is where Luke wants us to end up with uh, verse 12 and the sign. In fact, it's almost too good not to be true with this sign. Let me explain it for us. Verse 12, here's the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Why is that a sign that it is too good not to be true? Well, for two reasons, I think. First of all, it would have been a hugely unlikely event. For a baby, the most, pressured, uh, the most precious possession of a mother, to be lain in a feeding trough for animals, the most unlikely event you could possibly imagine, all the dirt and the smell. Which mother would do that? Not in the protective space, in the vulnerable space, with the animals. Extremely unlikely event. And therefore, the angel says to the shepherds, you want to know how to find this baby, look for the baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. There'll be no other baby like that. That's how you'll know which one we mean. But then also, it tells us, not only unlikely, but uniquely, God himself is born as a baby in a feeding trough. Not in a palace fit for kings, but in a stable or, as some people think, a cave in a feeding trough. No other philosophy, no other religion, no other moral set of principles is established on this event of God incarnate in human flesh, born as a vulnerable baby in an unprotected feeding trough for animals. And behind that, of course, is the unique message of Christianity, which is grace, that we didn't do it ourselves, that God came to us to rescue us, to be our help, our hope, and our home. Even debasing himself to the lowest place that he might save us. It's too good not to be true there are things you come across aren't there sometimes you think it's amazing could that possibly be true this is too good not to be true because it's unique oh there are little things I sometimes come across that I think are so strange I can hardly believe them why are there so many syllables in the word monosyllabic has has troubled me for many years And I recently figured out, rather surprisingly, that Britney Spears is an anagram for Presbyterians. I don't know what to do about that, but it seems rather strange. But it's true. (laughs) 
But this isn't merely unlikely. It's unique. It's too good not to be true. And so we come to true joy. Not merely surprising, not merely a theological idea that it's rooted in God, but something that actually happened, that is something that is actually true. Not sentimental and superficial, seasonal, but foundational and therefore transformational. If you like the Spider-Man movies, you'll know that there have been a couple of recent ones where Spider-Man goes into the Spider-Verse. And in those movies, there are all sorts of different kinds of Spider-Man, different versions of the same kind of Spider-Man in many different universes, which is sort of playing off the contemporary theory that there isn't just one universe, there are many universes. Who knows about that? But here is Jesus, who is absolutely unique in any universe. God in human flesh, in a manger. You see, my dear friends, religion comes to imprison you with its rules and regulations and exclusivity, but here... Even for the shepherds, there's help and hope and home. Philosophy attempts to impress you with its complicated jargon for the initiates. Jesus, he came to rescue you, to set you free, to rescue others as well. Religion at its best offers you a guru master. At its worst, it offers you a fighting warrior to slay your enemies. Jesus gives true joy as he comes as a baby in a manger. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you for the truth that is foundational and transformational. We know, Lord, that there are parts of Christmas that each of us enjoy that are fine and good, the sentiments, the feeling of Christmas. But we thank you, Lord, that the real Christmas is not merely seasonal, nor just a superficial set of emotive responses to lights and candles and songs and even family. No, Lord, when we gather here, we have the opportunity to experience true 
joy. Lasting pleasures. Solid joys. Lord, we thank you. It's not too good to be true that this message is for even shepherds. And that even those who feel like they're outsiders are not, even the shepherds are not excluded. It's good news for us and great joy. We thank you, Lord, that there is help. We bring our burdens to you. Oh, there are so many things that we need help with. We thank you, Lord, that there is hope. We think of the future of our own individual lives, and there's hope beyond the grave. That's part of what we remember at Advent, the coming return of Jesus. Our lives are not a few decades here to gather what we can before we die and there is no more. For those who follow you, there is an eternal hope that gives meaning and significance to everything we do now. We thank you, Lord, that there is a home. A home in you, a home with your people. A home, Lord, beyond this passing world too. A home that is safe. A sanctuary. A promised land. And we thank you it is it's so good, but it's, it's, it's true. It's too good not to be true. This baby in a manger, your humble grace, and we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.